Okay, thanks for everybody um, for coming along on Sunday morning. It's really exciting to see all of our tiers almost filled up. Um, my name's Robin Gulliver and I'll be doing the first presentation and Liz will be doing the second one. But we both prefer the presentation style of where you can ask questions um, whenever something occurs to you. If you're anything like me, by the time I've waited until the end of a presentation, I forgot my questions I was going to ask anyway. So please, feel free to ask anything during the presentation. So um, I'm going to talk about the Australian environmental movement, contribution to a new economy. I've had a long background in the environmental movement, various roles, but at the moment I'm a PhD student at the University of Queensland, and I'm researching social psychology of, of social movements, basically, and have created for the first time a complete typology of the Australian environmental movement and the advocacy part of it, so I'll talk about that soon. In the presentation today, I'm just going to do three parts. The first part, I'll talk to you about what advocacy in the movement is. That'll then go into number two, which is the economic type advocacy which is going on, which is um, very, very minimal. And the last bit, I'll talk about collective action, which is engagement in your advocacy. So for those of you who are involved in environmental organisations or any social movement, um, there's kind of key principles of collective action to get more people involved in your movement. <laughs> okay, so very quickly, any social movement has got a range of components, right, and every component blurs into another. It is very hard to put a limit on a social movement. Environmental movement, no different from any other social movement, apart from the fact that after I've done an inventory of the Australian one, we can see that it is massive. Okay, it is a huge movement comprised of many, many, many people, the vast majority of whom are volunteers. There's different ways that um, people kind of operate in this movement, um, <clears throat> and there is crossover. So we've got public advocacy, that's the bit that I'm interested in, so that's trying to change something that's in the public sphere, so like an economic system. In the public sphere, we all participate in it. There's other things like private behaviour change. That's one area I used to work in, so that's where you might see a program about uh, Brisbane City Council encourages you to pick up a piece of rubbish every day. Or, you know, can you, you just have a shower for three minutes? That's private behaviour change. Um, we have business approaches here, which uh, is actually a very, very strong part of the environmental movement, although some people might say it's distinct or different. I see it as similar. I used to live in a mining town. I met more environmentalists working for Rio Tinto than I've ever met in any other city that I've lived in. So I count that as part of the environmental movement as well. And then the last bit is other. There's a whole lot of other stuff. That might be just tree planting without advocacy, or it might be um, a whole bunch of think tanks, or opting out. I haven't actually come across anybody who's opted out yet, but that's probably because they wouldn't tell you about it. So, yeah. so that's kind of the typology of the movement. All right, so we're going to look at the public advocacy part of the movement. Um, the reason why we look at public advocacy is because it's about changing on a broader scale. When you look at private behaviour change, uh, pretty much all the private behaviour change programmes that run will maybe achieve at their best a 10% change in behaviour. <coughs> so if you're talking about saving water, you run a big programme through a council or a utility, uh, you will then aim for 10% savings. Okay, 10% savings is not going to stop climate change, catastrophic climate change. So public advocacy 
get you more bang for your buck in a way. And you have to do that public advocacy through collective action because it takes a lot of people and then that creates social change. The distinction down the bottom is um, between public and personal is in the economic sense you might have a divestment campaign um, and the divestment campaign is targeting superannuation fund, a big one, right? It has the capacity to make a massive change in a very quick time. Or you can run your campaigns asking all of us individually to divest our own mortgages. It's a personal behaviour change. Same with like FreeCycle. FreeCycle is a platform for um, giving away and taking free stuff. So you could create the platform and open it up to everybody in the easiest possible way. Or I could say, hey, do you want to join my FreeCycle network and, and win them? And hey, you want to join? And I'll help you and I'll do it like a million times. Okay, so. We're going to talk about advocacy in the Australian movement. I just want you to take a moment to think about, in your mind, when you think about the Australian environmental movement and advocacy, what people are doing, what groups do you think of? What groups come immediately to your mind in the Australian environmental movement? Anybody want to call some out? World Wildlife Fund. Okay. World Wildlife Fund. Exactly, World Wildlife Fund. Australian Conservation Foundation. Australian Conservation Foundation. Get up. Yeah. Yeah, so big groups, right? Big groups, realistically, they have a lot of money compared to other groups. So you think of the big ones. What types of activities come to your mind when you think about the Australian environmental movement? What do people do in this movement? What comes to your mind? Mountains. Yeah. Mountains. Sitting in trees. Sitting in trees, very good. Education. Yeah. Legal action. Exactly, okay, so cool. So again, kind of stuff that gets the media attention, right? So more direct action type stuff. Not perhaps radical, but on the verge of being radical and certainly between the blurred line of legal and illegal type of sit-ins activities. Okay, when you look at the Australian environmental movement, those groups and those actions are a tiny minority of what the movement actually does. Absolute tiny minority. Okay, we've got in the movement over two and a half thousand groups easily. There's more than a thousand Coast Caring Anki groups alone. There's more than a thousand friends of groups, a lot of whom do environmental type activities. We've got, I have, there's no way you can count how many social media groups exist working on environmental advocacy. It's just not possible. But it's easily more than 5,000. Um, and in terms of Conservation Council group members, which is a good inventory of groups, it's more than 300 of them. So what I have done uh, over the last few months, I've gone through every single possible group operating in an environmental sphere in Australia, and I've found the ones that have a website and <coughs> something like advocacy. So I've found oh, 500... Uh, Conservation Council, is this Queensland, or what's Conservation Council? Oh, so Conservation Council, every state and territory's got one, and they kind of work as an umbrella organisation for little groups and represent the... The so the NGC is part of the NGC's one, yes. Oh, okay. So yeah. the NGC's conservation council. It's a bit low. Yeah. It's in New South Wales. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's, not, it's not obvious. And I'm on the executive team, so... <laughs> no, no, but... <laughs> interesting. <Yeah>. That, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably a key message from this whole talk. Sorry. No, no, that nothing is obvious in the environmental movement. I've worked that out. Um, <laughs> 
It's a whole blurred range of groups, and I have to state, very few of them say what the hell they do, clearly. So, so there's a bunch of different things, they call them different things, but there's 520 groups in Australia that have a website that do advocacy. Now, I don't know about you, but if you compare that with feminism, or you compare, compare it with, um, say, Black Lives Matter or something, that is phenomenal. That is a huge number of groups who can be bothered to create a website and run a bunch of activities for the environment, for no other purpose for the environment. I find it heartening. Okay, so I'm just going to quickly go through what they're doing on the issues. The vast majority of them are looking at conservation protection, but about 15% on climate change, 10% on sustainable living. Where they're working, 50% of them work in a local environment. But that is the number of groups actually active in the issue. So, I don't know, maybe you represent the number of people or members because a lot of the time these people overlap. So people that are on social media are also part of the conservation council. So even if we have a lot of brands and names, etc., the real people active. Yeah, so these are only groups. So I'm not interested so much in individuals, they're just a group. So it has to call itself some sort of entity. A group could be two people or it could be, you know, a million according to AYCC or whatever. But it's got to be a group. So if you if you include individual people calling themselves environmentalists and doing environmental things, then... No, no, I was yeah. meaning that, for example, in the Queensland environment, people that go to 350 or four protests are the same, that they're in the social media, they're... So they are overlapping. Yeah, yeah. So if you take the 520 entities in my group, they've got 520 Facebook pages. And they've probably got, I don't know, 400 Twitter accounts, right? But above and beyond that, there are thousands of other groups that are not in my study population, but they still do stuff. They're not 350, and they're not AYCC, and they're not ACF. So, um, so yes, they counted, but it's still it's well into the thousands, if not tens of thousands. Yeah. But of those 520, the reason why I chose websites is because websites give you an, a completely uninterrupted way, an unbiased way of presenting what you believe in and what you do. Right? Facebook, social media doesn't do that. Uh, websites do. So I looked at those websites, I went through everything they said about themselves, had moments of frustration, um, and then kind of collated this here. So 50% of those 520 groups are doing stuff only in the local environment. 15, uh, 22% have national, but a lot of them say they work nationally, but in reality, it's probably unlikely that they do. Um, in terms of their activities, a lot of them do submissions, a lot of them do medias. There's over 440 campaigns, named campaigns alone, just from that 520 groups. And there's over 400 petitions and pledges and online declarations and stuff like that. And the thing that I find really interesting that we'll talk about as well, found 694 events that have a date that's run by that group and the vast majority <laughs> AGMs. We've got AGMs, we've got workshops, we've got forums, stalls, working bees, tiny, tiny number of valleys and sit-ins. Yes. Sorry, just um, with the issues, there's, is there an other section? Yeah, yeah, there's and a lot of other ones. What kind of other ones yeah. did you come across? Um, there's sort of, what else is there in here? There's like marine, marine conservation, marine fauna, water, 
um, wastewater. Nobody does that though. Um, so those are the main ones that I pulled out. But the other thing is that this data, when it's finished, will be publicly available. So you can, you can um, my email's at the end. I love to do other projects and research projects, and if you want to see the data, not a problem. Sorry, um, question on the date there, was that the first <coughs> you picked that at random, the first yeah. of January? And so people don't usually have working bees on the first of January in summer in Australia. Was no, curious. so those are all the dates that have been put on the website since the first of January 2016. Since the first. So what happens with some of these websites? And it's really small, <coughs> Yeah, there's not, yeah, there's not many. Um, when you look at social media, there'll be a lot more on social media and there'll be more direct action type ones as well. But what somebody looks at when they are interested in a group and they go to the website, that's what they see. Oh, an AGM, okay. Um, that's a functional part of having an organisation. But yeah, we had to, I had to cut off because some, some websites run into like two or 3,000 pages and it's just, just got to have a date to cut that off. You know. So if you operate a website, please clean it out at some point. Um, okay, so now that was just a quick overview of the movement. Now we're going to talk about what part of this movement is actually looking at economics. Because of course, most of the problems that these groups are advocating or working on are caused by various economic structural issues, right? All the extraction industries, climate change, in fact, overfishing. Uh, marine reserves, they're, they're intrinsically related to economics. So we have, first of all, and again, this is not comprehensive, there are lots of individual groups doing little things, but I'm grouping into the main types of economic advocacy that this movement is doing. The first one is transition towns and sustainable living groups. Okay, so out of the 520, we've got 61 groups doing that that have a website. The second one are our renewable energy and community energy groups, 36 of them. But when you look at the time frame, the transition town ones, to be honest, they're all kind of dying now, and the renewable energy are all coming up, and they're coming up strong and fast now. So that ratio will probably change pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay, so fundamentally, those two types of groups, you remember the different advocacy, we've got our, our public advocacy and our personal advocacy, those two groups are both doing personal behaviour change advocacy. So transition towns have come along and we'll do some food swaps and we'll um, have a community garden and you can work in the community garden or we can you know, ride share, things like that. So it's me making a choice to change my life, it's my responsibility. And the same with renewable energy. We're giving you a choice. You can buy these solar panels or you can put your money into this solar panel project and get your investment returns back on it. Again, it's a personal choice. Okay, so there's reasons why this, which is really, uh, there's only three, there's only three ways that um, the environmental movement sort of in total is looking at economic advocacy. These are two of them. So there's a clear dependency on personal behaviour change. And there's reasons for that, okay, because it's much easier to ask someone individually to change your behaviour than to get out there on the street and say, we need to all stop driving our cars right now and we need to ban cars. This is so much easier. Asking someone to change behaviour is nice, it's non-confrontational, it's part of public discourse, it's community building, there's good stuff about it too. Um, it fits really strongly with neoliberalism. In other words, your choice, 
it's your choice to take a um, kit cup or it's your choice to get a disposable cup. And whatever choice you make, you own that choice. It's not the fault of the cafe to be giving you go cups like that or kit cups or whatever. Okay, it's not the fault of government to say nobody's allowed to have disposable cups. It's your choice. <laughs> so that really, really, really aligns so strongly with neoliberalism. So it just fits the groove, and so it's easy to ask people to make that change. Um, it allows us to continually consume. So consumption is still a good thing, right? It's just your choice about your consumption. If you make the wrong choice, then that's your fault, nobody else's fault. Um, and we've got, um, again, that 10% consumption reduction upper limit is just <coughs> if we If we continue with that one, we're not going to achieve the change we need. The positive view is that, of course, we're making individuals um, make better choices and we have to have that anyway. Um, but essentially it's saying we're consuming our way to a better world, right? Not saying that consumption is wrong. Okay, the third thing about um, the, the way that economic advocacy is taking is the uh, fossil fuel campaigns. But I just quickly want to talk about the differences between transition and sustainable uh, and renewable energy. So these are our primary economic activities that the environmental movement's doing. Transition towns have a lot of events. They very, very seldom mentioned how they're governed, um, like boards or councils or whatever. Um, they often want volunteers, so they're taking a lot of work on for themselves. They're having to update their websites all the time because they've got events and blogs and posts and blah, blah, blah. And they have to apply for grants continually and, um, and most of them seem to be dormant. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious why, right? A lot of the transition town websites not been updated for at least a year. Um, sustainable living ones, probably about the same. It's really hard Just work. Just hard work, yes. Hey? Oh, sorry. But could that not be because maybe they're getting on with it? Maybe they're just not putting it online? It could be, yeah. And that's true. You've got to bear in mind the limitations of this methodology, which is looking at websites. Yeah. But um, when you look at the renewable energy ones, they look like they're getting on with it, right? And and, how, um, and at the very least, with these transition town groups, okay, they might be super busy, they're not putting it on the website, but they're not putting it on these social media pages. How does that look to other people? They're not, you know, how are they engaging the people? Well, yeah, exactly, and I'm just sort of going on that. How do we know they're getting on with it or if they're being dormant? Yeah. We should create a culture that supports people going to these places, taking sort of videos, so it's make them more popular among the sort of mainstream people, yeah. like, I'm going to target the traveller hippies, it's like, they should be, there should be some sort of moral obligation for them to go to some of these places. There should be, but of course you're talking about um, all volunteers really, yeah. I don't know, any transitional sustainable living groups that have any paid staff, so yeah. Is it not possible that one reason can be the generational problem? I've been in some transition town groups here in Queensland and they're all over 60s. While renewable energy is something pretty new and we are addicted to post every three seconds something. So probably there's that gap as well? Could be, definitely. And maybe people who set up a transition town, you know, they have their way of doing it. and. 
look, there's at least 520 groups in the environmental movement. You could either say, that's great, lots of people active, or you could say, geez, that shows environmentalists can't work together, right? So maybe someone set up this transition town group, they want to do it their way, and then it's, it's too much work, and nobody comes in to support it, and it dies. So. And, and, and they, ha they present a certain image of themselves as an identity, which we'll just briefly talk about later, and someone who's a bit different might not want to fit in. You know, like when I look at a group, and it's, it's to be honest, it's all men, I do think myself, well, I, uh, all the pictures on your website of men, I just, I'm not sure if I would fit in. Oh, the, the transition town, which is at this girl, has been had to close their blog because of death threats. Because yeah. it's a transition town, transition from coal mining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're really, really up against it. Yeah, yeah that's right. And so there are, there was quite a few websites that are like inflated. <coughs> so when I looked through all the groups, looked at their website, there's, there's a few that have um, not been secured. So um, there's technological problems with that too. Can I just sort of say, um, in case I get a, get a chance later, that there's a fourth Thing that hasn't been mentioned that in fact you do have groups such as Cassie New South, Cassie groups around Australia, Post Growth Institute that do exist that are fundamentally tackling neoliberalism yes. and uh, so that they, they do exist but they are in the minority. Yes. Yeah, I've got just on the slide a little, the, there's some other groups existing. Mm -hmm. The thing that's different about think tanks or institutes or research institutes mm -hmm. is that they don't explicitly state generally in any way that they do advocacy. So they do reports, um, and I've got one on my list actually that does it, the whole website's a report, and then there's a little bit about how they've, they've turned it into a campaign. And there is nothing else on there yeah. about well, what are you think, doing with this We're not think tanks, we're, pub, we're, we're community groups, and there's three of us in this room yeah. from Cassie New South Wales. So yes. I was just saying yes. that... Um, what yeah. is Cassie New South Wales? Centre for the Advancement of a Steady State Economy mm. is an yes. international group, yeah. and we have chapters uh, yeah. around Australia. So, so all, all yeah. I can point out <laughs> is the, yeah. the, the terms that require inclusion mm. and advocacy mm -hmm. is that you have to be doing advocacy or campaigns or f a fight or a battle or a war or something explicitly stating that you are doing advocacy so yes there's like the australian institute right it's not on my list as well amazing group doing amazing work they're getting all that stuff out through the media they do not on their website probably for good reason explicitly state anywhere that they do campaigns or advocacy because that also crosses over a lot of legal lines in terms of your so, tax. So where does lobbying fit in? Like does Cassie does lobbying, so does we do Does that is that not count as advocacy? Lobbying? Yes. Um it depends what terms you've got on the website, what how you're presenting your information to other people. And and be aware as well that so these are the three predominant things, right? There are many groups, um, like I've got Future Economy Group in my um, study population. There are other groups in the study population. I'm just talking about the three biggest. Yeah. Okay. So two of the books that we so, so, did you hear that? I'm, <laughs> I'm pulling out the three main groups. Yeah. Yep, there are, I'll get to a slide where there are other groups active, but they are tiny minorities. So the three main economic approaches across the entire movement are these three. Yep. 
I'm, I'm kind of like <coughs> management community friends of the Earth Australia, and you know we're you know we have it within our you know, economic justice is a really important part of our you know, core values. But it's definitely a thing. I mean, we have groups like you know it's like Earthworker, um, you know people like myself and Franklin uh, here this weekend. But you know like that. Um, I absolutely agree with you. This, this is a well, what I'm sensing from you is there's, there's a it's not um, it's not as core as it really could be. Um, it's hard, right? It's yeah, a hard. really, really hard thing to campaign for. Um, and so, kudos to these groups that are trying to do it. They're not trying to do it on the ground. And I think with the transition to sustainable living stuff, more than anything, it just shows how hard it is to change an economy. But then there is this other approach before we very quickly get through the rest, um, renewable energy, and that is um, vastly different, okay? So the renewable energy, be aware here, I'm talking about the public face they're presenting on their website, right? They don't have a lot of events at all, so much easier to manage. They seldom ask for volunteers, volunteers are hard to manage. Their governance, on the whole, they have the best possible descriptions of their governance online of any groups in the study population. So they say who's their chairperson, who's on their board, what their skills are, why they're there, how they govern this organisation. Um, and they usually are self-funded, obviously, and they appear, when you look at this whole thing, they're the strongest group by a long way, apart from the, the large, uh, well-funded organisation. So that renewable energy type um, approach, and there's, there's there's different ways they, they govern that. There's some of, they're all not for profit, but different systems. Um, it's just showing how you can pick an easy way and you can pick a hard way. And I think the easy way is easier because it fits again really well within neoliberalism, right? These are set up generally as corporate entities um, and they have various corporate responsibilities and they meet those requirements. Can um, you only look at one issue? And they're ignoring biodiversity and all the other issues. They're really looking at one issue. By and large, they're very mm. focused. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> Maybe yeah, we continue with your presentation yeah, and then yeah, your yeah. needs, and then we discuss. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, you want, yeah. I'll move along. Interrupting you. I'll move along. <laughs> sorry. Um, so the other one that that, that have um, uh, economic focus are our anti-extraction industries. By and large, um, they they on their websites they prevent. Re it's really complex. They're really hard to read. A lot of these websites are filled with facts, 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 and information. Um, and a lot of it's not necessarily about economics because they're they're they're, kind of, they're grassroots. They're about you know the ethical wrong of it, and particularly about water. Um, so we need to shift to systems change, and this is different um, models of this. It's really hard to do, okay? And the one I've got there is just the Stoppadani movement, and it's um, the thing that's good about the Stoppadani movement is this, they just they make it as clear as it's crystal clear what they're for, right? They've got three things: shift the politics, stop the money, build the movement, like bang, 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 okay? You'd compare it with Oakley Cold Action Alliance, maybe, or even the Quick Coal website. I'll have to go through five or six pages to see what you want to do. What what are you trying to do? But I need to see it on your front page what you what you're about. I want to get involved. Okay, so there's other activities. We've got a whole lot of organisations that do economic campaigns within their broader, uh, like Friends of the Earth. You know, and you have a strong economic 
focus on friends of the earth, but it tends to be one of the harder things to do. Um, we've got lots of various things like that, and we've got climate action groups as well, which I don't have time to talk about today, but they focus on economics by default. Um, when you look at um, engagement with the environmental movement and business, um, I could talk about this all day, right? But the key point is that business and the environmental <coughs> movement is bad, it's dirty. We don't get involved in business. Business is wrong, right? Um, there are, it's, it's almost like the only time we talk about business is when we say how bad it is, rather than saying we're all entrepreneurs, people in the environmental movement are entrepreneurs as well, so maybe this is really stopping the environmental movement. Okay, so when you look at groups that say they have a business sponsorship or an arrangement, some kind of income from businesses, like a partnership, very, very, very small. But why not? Isn't that perfect to have an environmental group and be creating a relationship with a business that's mutually beneficial uh, and promoting your ethics you want? Anyway, for my minority, a tiny minority with social enterprises, but because they're hard to run, they're hard to manage. Um, if you have a shop, heaps house for donations, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe half of them actually say what the donations specifically are used for, so not just for our campaign, but it's like to pay for our printing costs and to um, to pay for our travel to workshops or something. Um, and then we've only got about, what, 12% of all of these organisations <coughs> actually have staff. Isn't that amazing? So many groups are doing this amazing work with no staff. Mm. Okay. Income from grants or from state Yeah, government. most of it income. It's really hard to find the information, but so far most of it is, um, yeah, Commonwealth or state grants, um, membership fees for the smaller groups, and um, and various fundraising. But even doing grants, man, that's so time consuming. Yeah, so so all that time is kind of wasted that could be put on your amazing advocacy. Um, things that you're doing. Anyway, so uh, the, the key constraints I've come up with so far, work in progress, right? Limited methodology on this, this research, but there's just no engagement with the business community. Um, reliance on donations, obviously volunteers, and we have a very pragmatic approach to change. So we're not challenging neoliberalism framework really in any big way. I'm not saying that we should, maybe we should work within, but at the moment that is definitely the dominant approach. Okay, last bit, very quickly. So we've got, you've probably seen Snowflake model versus the, um, the individual model, why we're aiming for collective action and advocacy rather than personal change. In the ideal world, we would do both. If we want to do collective action, if the environmental movement wants people to get involved, which is what seems to really come across strongly, then why are only about 160 of the 450 groups actually asking for a volunteer? So when you look at their websites, they do not ask for a volunteer. The, the last majority, okay? Why do so many not actually say what they want their volunteers to do? 
Um, there's only a few that offer events, many reasons for that. It's hard to offer events. Um, quite a few have got a campaign, some have got actions, some have got sign-ups. But you can see the majority of sites are perhaps not thinking about what this looks like for someone new who's keen, really wants to get involved. Lots of these websites are like, oh, I feel really intimidated. I don't know what to do and I don't know if I'll fit in. So if you have a website or if you have a group, maybe that will be helpful to think, okay, well, put, put yourself in someone else's shoes and see what it looks like. And then these are just some examples of campaigns, right? Like this massive list of campaigns. So we've got a few that are kind of business orientated. Um, we've got a few that have maybe they're a bit lengthy um, and you just just think are they kind of asking for people to make a personal change again and making a, maybe feeling a little bit bad about when we do it wrong or are they really about um, sorry it should be personal public behaviours bigger ones right and then um, would you be inspired to participate in them Again, very quickly, there's some things here nearly at the end about what you um, what what you need to do if you want people to get involved in your group. If you're running a social enterprise, if you're doing a free cycle, if you're doing an advocacy group, if you want to do a sit-in, right? You have to show efficacy, which is that you can succeed. And it can't be fake efficacy. So you see some groups are putting out there, we won. We won this amazing thing, I can't remember what it was. Um, it's like, oh, that's not quite true. You were really successful at getting heaps of people to these events and maybe changing a bit of public opinion, but you probably didn't win. So show that you're doing some stuff, but be explicit about what you're achieving. And also, individual efficacy. If you want people to involve, get involved, you have to say why they should and why they can help. It just feel like as a volunteer, you're just taking someone's time, right? Um, identity, you need to make sure that your group looks and feels like it's welcoming. And I can't stress this enough, I don't know how to be um, not blunt about it, but I've looked at thousands of social media websites, right, for environmental movement. 99.9% .9 of people in those, on those websites and social media, maybe social media less, but websites are white. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just and, and the majority of them are older because that's, that's who a lot of volunteers are. It's a wonderful thing, right? But when you're looking for more volunteers, just have a think about how can we present our group and our identity better and how can you be inclusive about that? What's the purpose? Anger and injustice is a driving factor, a known driving factor in getting people involved in social movements. You don't have to be angry like rah, 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 like some websites are, but you have to show why it's important. And you have to show why you should get involved in this, and you should be a little bit angry about it, right? Somebody is losing out. Make sure you show that on the thing. And social capital is who is your group involved with? Um, I could talk about that for a long time as well, but hardly any groups actually say, for example, that they're members of a conservation council. Um, that's social capital. We want to show that we're strong. Okay, very quickly, um, won't go over this too much, but basically it's saying that um, when you run text analysis, all these groups, they're very analytical rather than narrative focused. So they're telling us facts. We all know nobody likes facts these days. We want to hear a story. Um, we have low authenticity across the movement, so it sounds like we're being a bit fake. I'm going to investigate that a lot further, but it's 
it's an interesting outcome. So lower values there sound like we're being guarded. Maybe that's part of not telling a narrative. And then the other thing is that money comes out really strongly. So money is a big part of the environmental movement, the focus, but it's not translating into economic advocacy. So these are areas which I'll continue researching and try and actually work out what they mean. So if you your group, make sure you are inclusive, make sure you show what you can do, make sure you're clear about why it's a thing that we should do, and then make it easy for people to join up. We're big, we're strong, and my key message is that the environmental movement needs to work together a lot better, because we are a massive amount of people, but we just can't get our shit together very well. So That's a nice segue. Like that. <laughs> That's right, so here we are at QCC. Perfect, so do you want to start So my name is Liz Murphy-Forrester and I work for the Queensland Conservation Council. I'm um, generally quite intimidated by these kind of processes of standing up and talking, so um, I like to kind of bring the power down so we're all sitting around and in a conversation here. Um, so when I was approached to talk about uh, protecting the environment in a new economy, I kind of went really deeply into what I thought that might look like um, but if, and would like to talk with people about that. Um, maybe I've done after I did my presentation, but I've just kind of stepped back and thought it might be better actually just to talk about our organisation, the Queensland Conservation Council, um, which is the peak body, peak environment body in Queensland. Um, and Robin's touched a bit on what um, the structure of that looks like. So we've been around since 1969. Um, a, that's like almost 50 years of. Uh, conservation action and advocacy in Queensland um, and I'm sure it's gone through, the organisation's gone through many iterations in that time um, but we stand currently um, with 56 member groups and that's um, generally actually along the coast, we don't have many member organisations mm. that are further inland in Queensland um, and we have um, up to 11,000 supporters. Our membership base is quite interesting. We have our regional conservation councils who we have quite a strong relationship with and we have other other kind of issue specific groups, lots of bird um, groups, lovely people. I've never met like bird groups before but really passionate people who are focused on you know habitat ecosystems and um, and we have some land care groups but not that many actually so it'd be kind of good to to strengthen our network in, in that way. Um, we, in our kind of current position, I, I find as an environmental organisation and the peak body are looking at balancing, um, coordinating the sector um, and really being the spokes body for um, some of the key environmental issues in Queensland. So the key environmental issues that we're looking at at the moment are land clearing, which is you know, at horrific rates in Queensland, Currently, like we're, we have land clearing rates that equal um, the land clearing in Brazil, um, and so we're working very hard at um, at our relationships within government. I think to work on legislation, like in making sure that legis key legislation gets through the revegetation laws. Um, Good luck with that. New South Wales is trying to just catch up with you at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yes, I think you know, it was very close there at the end of last year to getting those laws through in Queensland and I think um, 
yeah, I think there's there's a lot of I think it's going to be one of the, hopefully one of the key issue, environment issues in the upcoming Ooh, state election. Yeah. Yes, well, working together, Work working together. together. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one of our key campaigns is renewables. Um, so Queensland QCC, which we like to refer to ourselves as, has um, is a part of an alliance called the Sun Powered. Um, Queensland Alliance. Actually, I've got two of my other team members here from QCC, Caspian, who works on Wednesday, <laughs> <laughs> and Lisa, who's our climate policy officer. Um, so our renewables um, campaign is focusing on ensuring that the state government legislators a f legislates a 50% renewable energy target. Um, but I think, actually, Robin could talk a bit about the Sunpower Queensland <laughs> Alliance as well. Like it's a, an alliance of a number of different organisations, and I think that's a key space that QCC is really focused on moving into is developing more spaces where um, member groups and uh, organisations can come together to work better together in alliances um, because I think I agree with you like we have to be doing this better together um, in terms so we can be really efficient and effective at what we're doing and push through the change that needs to be pushed through quickly because we're in a bit of a mess um, and climate is uh, another one of our campaign areas. Lisa probably could talk a little bit more to that. Um, but we're looking at doing quite a thorough analysis of the um, Queensland State Government's climate policies that they're releasing um, and being a critical friend, um, which is an interesting journey. <laughs> uh, and also working with engaging um, our member groups in in climate discussions, it's been really interesting to see how our member groups are focusing on some of the contributing factors to climate change, <coughs> more of a kind of holistic, uh, bigger perspective um, approach. Seems to be there seems to be a bit of a gap there. So I think we're really looking at raising the profile of climate and looking at how we can work better together to not just to well to, to mitigate and to adapt, but to kind of move a bit beyond that too. I think. Um, and our last campaign, or sorry, our last key issue focus is in transitions. Um, so <coughs> looking, at, looking at transitioning out of coal and all fossil fuel um, industries into renewable energy in general. Um, and I think the other thing I really wanted to talk about and then I wanted to open up to, to a conversation is uh, where I see um, environmental protection going in the new economy is balancing that kind of fearless advocacy um, uh, with community organising. Community organising was something that I had not heard of until I came to work for QCC, but I understand <coughs> kind of the premises of it, which is a lot about building um, empowerment within communities um, and within our member groups, kind of in the same kind of parallel. Um, and getting people to be equipped with the capacity to be active to do things for themselves whilst you know really ensuring they're kind of key strategic hubs <coughs> of information and resources and support um, so that we can <coughs> yeah yeah so anything that you'd like to add Caspian or Lisa I probably I just got put on the spot so sorry it's coming to my <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Uh, I started as an activist in 1974 with the, as a conservationist um, 
became, I was the director of the Nature Conservation Council in 1988. Now I'm the co-director of the Centre for the, the Local Brands for the CASI, the Centre of Brands for the Steady State Economy. So I think you're right that, and, and I know for, I was a, a councillor for many years on ACF Conservation Council, being on the executive as well, and I worked with the Wilderness Society for many years. But next month at the AGM with the Nature Conservation Council, I'm putting up a steady state economy policy mm -hmm. for the Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales. And I suspect it's pretty 50-50 whether it's likely to get up. And I know Jeff Mosley in ACF for probably the last 15 years has been trying to get ACF to talk about the steady state economy or to question the growth economy. Mm. And most environment groups I know as a campaigner don't want to go there because they don't want to be dismissed as being off with the fairies at the bottom of the garden. My point as an environmental scientist though, <coughs> I think it is time that advocate, environmental advocacy groups started to focus on the problem that on a <coughs> you can't actually keep growing. You said for a campaign. Mm? You, sir, need a campaign. Mm. I need a campaign. <laughs> uh, so I'm just, you know, that, that aspect of um, it, it is a difficult thing to actually get many environment groups to talk about the elephant in the room that the growth economy is not going to. So are you, are you saying, will QCC do that? I, I have to take my QCC hat off. Mm -hmm. which, <laughs> it's difficult, I think, to juggle um, working with organisations and being an individual with your own perspective within... Mm -hmm. Uh, the movement and I think that as an individual I think we certainly need to be um, creating more and more safe spaces um, that more people feel like they can participate in so it's you know not just you know like we're talking about the representation of yeah, um, I think the spaces I'd probably, that we um, if I could just say oh, I was an ACF councillor when they were bringing in the um, transforming Australia strategy right what a, I mean, ACF is a great organisation, has great governance, but what a debacle. And so trying to get people to agree on their own, oh, yep. totally understand so hard. And yep. um, so safe spaces are good, but agreements are. I'm sort of thinking reframe the safe space idea to just bring more ideas into it, but have it centred on environmental excellence. It's like, I have to, Give me a little bit more time to expand on that idea after. Mm. Yeah, I actually have two two questions, and then you shut up. Uh, one thing is you were saying that a lot of these blogs, uh, website, and uh, social media, they show just white people as volunteers, but. So I, I felt it is a bit like selling a multicultural side of this organization that doesn't exist. And so I would like to know, you know, how many other migrants or refugees do you have, for example, in Queensland? I just started a project <coughs> where just two, three months old, we have 11 nationalities and we have 35 volunteers. And I do know all the other Queensland groups and I've got a job, etc. I don't see many open. So, so there's this campaign about Adani and let them stay, but facts, nothing. So it, it annoys me a bit that we want to sell something that doesn't exist. And the second thing, you really think that climate change and <coughs> renewable energy is a new economic system? I see it just as a transition that we need as environmental groups to push forward to do it as fast as we can, but the real, you know, we can have all Australia covered with solar panels, but if we don't reduce consumption, that's yeah. gonna keep up just with the demand. So as he said, none of the environmental movement in Australia now 
tackled a new economic system. We can frame it and make it nice and talk about climate change, but even if you don't go to the United Nations and the COP22 or wherever, we talk about being competitive, um, profit-seeking, and carbon credit, etc. That's not a new economic system. Yeah. And I think you'll find in rural areas it's even worse. I'm, I'm right out in the country and, uh, you know, you talk about this sort of thing with Ankit. Um, I run a community group in Orange which is on the side, elders sort of things, a little longer, older people. But Lancair is very right-wing in many cases, mm. so you have to be really careful what you suggest in there. So I noticed you had your thousand, over a thousand Lancair groups. Yeah. Um, but but responding to climate change is... We need to do it as quickly as possible, right? So to do that, I feel like we have to work with the systems we're already embedded in, right? And to do that, we have to make compromises and <laughs> quash some of our values to, to get those neoliberal uh, mining workers and fossil fuel bodies yeah, to transition, right, as quickly as possible. Because if, if we're if we're distracted by trying to shift our whole economy at the same time as you know decarbonize, it's just it's going to take too long. Yeah. Right? Well, we're going to prioritize. I think climate change is a symptom of your growth economy. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, it so. is. But but you know. <laughs> Pick your battles, we'll get there. But okay, just as a classic pragmatic versus radical approach, right? And mm -hmm. it, it's held the environmental movement back for decades. So I totally agree with you, mm -hmm. Hayden. It, it requires systems change. So Pragmatically, battles, though, if you're saying even yeah. at Nature Conservation Council, 50-50 yeah. might not accept steady state economy. We'll find well, out October, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but, but what chance have we got convincing society, right? So if, if at the peak environmental organisation there's still conflict, ACF, huge amount of conflict, right? So we need to be pragmatic as well. But at the same time, I think what you had said earlier about the nationalities and the, the, the um, inclusion, doesn't that show the richness, like the, the possibilities we have if we consciously think about are we trying to maximise the, the engagement in what we're doing? So at the moment, we're not targeting all the possible people who want to be involved. If we targeted those people and got them involved, then we could start maybe trying to do more systems change. I thought one way we were going to your idea was that there's a social justice group in Orange which has very high ethnic diversity, and then there's the, all the environment groups which you know, oh, yeah. older white people. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they should get to, maybe they should get together more. I don't know. This is the idea that I had, but everyone says. Oh, like that, you know, but I think that is probably would be good thinking. Yeah. But also about speaking up the climate change and the economic, in terms of we saw the money, the nation looking, you know, for the economic sustainability of this movement. Every year we have a United Nations climate conference uh, at the end of the year, and all NGOs, small and big around the world, spend all their budget in campaigning in there, forgetting completely the fact that three months later in Switzerland is the World Economic Forum. So it's just a big distraction of mass, and we have, until we don't acknowledge that, we can keep, you know, showing trees and land care and whatever we're doing. Yeah, but, but don't, don't forget the strongest group out of all of these ones are the groups working in the system doing renewable energy. Corporate entities, okay, they're the strongest. And also, um, like I said, I lived in a mining town in West Australia for five years and I met more environmentalists working for Rio Tinto than I've met here in Brisbane. Maybe not today, but, um, <laughs> but you know, the, 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 and I used to work at the Water Corp. We were achieving a um, kind of like a cradle to grave or a zero emissions <coughs> water cycle. And so that's, that's a corporate entity. 
So I actually sometimes think that our corporates are far in advance from the movement, maybe. I don't know what Hayden would think about that. Or yes, I'm just a bit um, confused about your um, what exactly you're advocating, because on one hand you're saying like we need to challenge the economic system, but you're also saying we need to be more yep. business-oriented, which is very mainstream and... Yeah, well, I think my, I think I, I get frustrated at, at when you know you can say everything that's wrong. There's so many things that are wrong, right? I'm not saying I've got a solution. I don't have a solution, but I can say that the business is not bad. So maybe to grow ourselves, we could explore working with business. Business is what humans do. So you mean actually it's only very broad in terms of like not... Well, it's any any kind of entity that's trying to sell you something, whether that's for a standard form of exchange like money or a value. So a social enterprise um, is a business. And my God, there's some amazing social enterprises. Why are we not working with them? Sorry. You mentioned before that community organising model, which is doing amazing things. I think obviously Lockheed Gates doing... A great example of that, but the, you know, how do we, you know, we're here in the context of this conversation we're having the new economy side of things. Like for me, logic uh, <coughs> kind of suggests that the success of this community organising thing, where you're, you know, you're reaching out and empowering people in the community, and then this social enterprise kind of side. So how do we get those? What kind of process is possible to kind of get the you know, but rather than just uh, you know community organising, empowering people to uh, to advocate on issues and whatever, like how do we get some kind of role out? And I know this is ambitious, but of you know of social enterprise. So um, you know, in those, am I making sense? Like the you know, how do we start to marry these concepts mm. we've got with the new economy and all yeah. these fantastic ideas yeah. that are emerging in this kind of space mm. with those. You know, with the grassroots people rather than just advocating about issues like you're sure advocating the issues and so forth but create kind of you know sustainable economic kind of projects in their areas I think it's useful to look at um, you know at, at existing organizations and the relationships that they have like I think organizations like QCC maybe NCC as, as well and environment Victoria have this, are uniquely placed to have strong relationships with regional representation these you know regional groups who really understand like the local nuances of their area in terms of landscape land and people and I think um, you know really refocusing on relationship building um, with those organizations and supporting them means that we can start not necessarily rolling out um, but asking them what they need and then finding a way to support them in doing it and I think probably we um, you know we benefit the environment sector to create these safe spaces to talk more about you know what you know, how, how to um, how to integrate respectful dialogue yeah yeah well it just it's been tricky like the space you know, there's, there's the space has had a lot of conflict yeah. you know not just in Queensland there's um, one more last question and then we run out of time but there's morning tea so if you want to stay here mm. I just want to say I once did a project of, you know, a big world one when I was younger about guilds. So there was a guild for water and a guild for air and looking after it, which is kind of what everyone's gone. Everyone has their own area of some parts of the body. They work on that. I think you need an integration guild or people. 
that look at the integration, how that all these groups integrate, need to integrate because they're all going towards the same thing and they're all fine to work on their area as long as it's all going towards a healthier planet. But I think you really need dedicated groups that look at and show people where they can meet together and where they can integrate and where they can swap because a lot of people just don't realise that, that they... Isn't that what this is doing? Yeah, well it is. It, it is. is good, but it's sort of, I think you need a dedicated groups to do it rather than it's just a one-off because a lot of people don't see where they meet in similar this areas. This is the second conference I think we'll do. A question, but I think that one of the things that Queensland's uniquely, a barrier that Queensland uniquely kind of has, well maybe Western Australia as well, is the kind of geography of this, you know, Queensland. it's really big, so yeah. cre physically creating those spaces, because I think that's really important, the face-to-face, -face, but integrating that with the digital as well, like keeping on setting up opportunities for people just to sit together and to talk, and for that to not always be structured, to have just, you know, mm -hmm. games nights. Oh. Yeah, gone. Just creating a space for all different people to come together and start yeah. playing and talking and yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, two concepts. I'm going to try to keep it at two minutes. Um, Queensland's land clearing are excellence in development, new sixth gold standard of creating urban farms amongst your new development. So that's a thing. Um, yesterday there was the mob over there talking about Tweed Council and uh, basically eco-village ideas but at a larger scale and I can't exactly remember how I'm drawing to it but putting in the best practice growing systems into their areas to which I have abstract communities to and I've got cards from there doing that. So that's in the North New South Wales area. Um, so this is a location where we're using growing systems that consolidate the tensions between environmentalists, farmers and indigenous people. So that's proven in Brazil anyway. And sort of bringing that multicultural facet apart. So you get the more extreme groups and they can learn about these systems first and when they go to these forums to where we're advocating for steady state economies amongst groups that don't talk about economy is hey, we've got a solution blueprint here. Um, so those are the two concepts. And building on what I was saying before, um, you have a strong green advocacy group, but you bring in some liberal economists or something that you know somewhat leaning. So instead of having the lynch mob like you do in the cane industry of uh, climate scientists going into the cane co-ops and they sort of lynch and intimidate them into backing down on their stances, you go the opposite way, where you have all these greenies that are more versed on economic activity start kind of lynching into the liberal economist. Anyway.